Yeah, let's roll, man. What's going on, everyone? It is the Friday version of the NFL Strategy Show. And usually at this time on Friday afternoons, we are talking about top stacks. We're trying to dig into the main slate. We got lots of teams to figure out. But today, we're taking a step back. We're talking about the two-game Saturday wild card slate. It's going to be really exciting here, and I'm excited to break it down with my partner, Matt Gajeski. Follow him on Twitter, at Matt underscore Gajeski. What's going on, man? How you doing today? How you doing, Matt? I am doing well. I'm very excited for these playoff games to start and get here. Without college football, it seems like the midweek action has been lacking a little bit, but we're going to have some really good games. I like that they spread it out to three days. I've seen a lot of people come back at that, but you know, more football, more slates. That's always where I'm looking. Oh, oh, I completely agree here. And I, I think the Monday night football, the extra showdown slate, I think it's all positive. It's good. And uh, call me crazy here, but I actually like the seventh team on both sides. I think they're going to add an eighth and I'm okay with that. More football is better for me. I'm totally with you. And uh, guys, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm Matt Savoka at Draftaholic on Twitter as well. We're also presented today by Jock Market. We're going to get into all the fun stuff we have going on for them. Uh, But first here, let's talk about the differences between a two-game slate that we have going on this Saturday and a typical main slate where we'll have something like 12, 13 games on the largest ones. What is your overall strategy for a two-game slate? How does that change things for you, Matt? It changes a lot, and there's a couple points I want to bring up. First of all, stacking becomes just a little more natural. So I don't think you have to worry as much about, like, what your stacks look like, what your negative correlation looks like. You're naturally going to run into some negative correlation and you're probably naturally going to run into some stacks if you're playing one of the four quarterbacks on the slate. So I think that does bring a little less importance. And when you have a two game slate like this, there's just a chance that maybe an onslaught from one team gets it done. So you could play two receivers, a running back and a quarterback from one side. And with that, ownership doesn't matter quite as much either. You're going to see players that reach 60, 70% ownership. And in the context of a normal main slate, that would be close to an auto fade, depending on the player, unless they were like at the stone min or something, but everything needs to be contextualized for the, the two game slate aspect of this weekend. Yeah. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And now I want to ask you to, to kind of clarify some of this here in a showdown slate. Well, one game slate, we'll do things like play two tight ends or two running backs from the same team is are those kinds of, typically negative correlation plays on the table here in a two game slate, or are you kind of closing the door on that? It depends on the size of the field. When you're looking at things like the Millie maker, you can certainly do stuff like that in smaller field tournaments. I think it's probably something that you don't need to get into. So it's all going to be dependent on the size of the field. I think that makes a lot of sense. And since we only have two games here, then we can kind of break down the sort of game environments of each one. And we'll get into the details in just a moment here on each one. But just from a macro perspective, is there any way you're leaning in terms of your roster builds? Like, are you leaning towards targeting one game or one team? Since we only have four total, or do you really have a mix and match at this point? Cincinnati is a team I'm going to be prioritizing for a lot of reasons. 
First, they have the highest implied team total on the slate. They're big favorites. The total in that game is better than the New England-Buffalo game. It's a spot where we've already seen Cincinnati dismantle Las Vegas in Las Vegas at that. So now Cincinnati will be playing at home. And then they're just concentrated. You know what you're getting with Burrow. The stacking options are clear in Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. And if you want to get a little crazy and save salary, you can go to Tyler Boyd. Then you also know that Joe Mixon's handling the load in the backfield. We do have questions with other backs on this slate. And if we reference our tools, referencing the two game top stop top stacks tool, excuse me, they're the only team that's positively leveraged. So this is going to be a spot where I'm playing a lot of Cincinnati and we have Burrow coming in around 32% ownership based on our tools. He's still under owned. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of with you here. We'll get into it for both sides here. But from a game environment standpoint, we want to target the high total games. We want to target the teams who are favored to win those high total games. And as you mentioned, Matt, once those offenses become concentrated, both in the backfield with a player like Joe Mixon and at the wide receiver core, just the receiving core in general, that's kind of an all systems go moment for us. Just from a DFS fundamentals perspective, uh, so it's hard for me to get away from the Cincinnati Bengals. I kind of agree with you here. Because of that, I also think runback options with the Las Vegas Raiders are going to look more and more enticing here. But before we get into that, guys, give us a like and give us a, a subscribe to the channel so that you can keep up with all of our shows here at Awesomeo. The DFS offers, the giveaways, and much, much more are all here. Once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get alerts when our shows go live. Of course, you guys know what to do. And, and be sure to check out today's free p premium tools, which are the NBA player projections. Oh, we got MMA fighter rankings, NHL ownership projections. Okay, now we're talking. That's pretty good here. Uh, and make sure to follow Matt uh, on Twitter, Matt underscore Gajeski. I'm at Draftaholic as well. Okay, we dig into the first game here, the 430 Eastern game, higher total game, as we already mentioned, Las Vegas Raiders and Cincinnati Bengals. Right now, the Bengals are favored by five and a half points, and we kind of already touched on some of the players that we like here. And, and if there is a difference, Matt, between platforms because of the salaries, let me know. But who are some of those players you are targeting on the Cincinnati side of the ball? So I already mentioned I'll be pretty overweight to Burrow, which means just by default, I will be overweight to a lot of the pass catchers. So Jamar Chase, T. Higgins both make a lot of sense. And I think they're both pretty efficiently priced right now in terms of both salary and ownership. You are saving some salary going to T. Higgins, but he's also coming with a little bit more ownership based on our tools. So I actually think that is pretty efficient. You can certainly play them both if you're going to take a punt somewhere else in your, in your roster. And you can also get to guys like Boyd. Interestingly, Boyd is still the fourth most owned receiver on this slate, according to our projections at 35%. And again, 35% in the context of a two-game slate isn't really that much. But ultimately, based on the tools, these guys are all coming in under-owned. So I think you can take shots on two of these guys. I think you could even play all three if you're in sort of Millie Maker style rosters and then, or I guess I should say contests, and then just trying to soak up all the Cincinnati production. We have seen a ceiling with this team, and we know the Vegas secondary isn't scary. Yeah, they are not a scary secondary. I, I would agree with that. And they are leaning a little bit towards being a run funnel defense and schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. They're way worse than league average against the running backs this season, and they're pretty much below average 
against opposing passing attacks. So I would agree with you there. They're not very scary. And expected fantasy points per game. Tyler Boyd is hovering around 10 expected fantasy points per game over his last six starts here. So I completely agree with you. Our projections compared to salary-based expectations really across the board for Boyd look really positive. And, you know, I know that Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are the real ceiling plays. And I'm not saying if you're stacking Cincinnati, just play Tyler Boyd or as a one-off. But I really think as a secondary stacking option, Tyler Boyd is looking really, really appealing here how about the rushing the running game here because personally the way i'm building my lineups right now it's really platform agnostic for me i'm getting to so much maybe way too much joe mixon how about you yeah for sure he's the only back that has like no holes to poke in so he's got the consistent workload devin singletary has of late but it's not something we've seen all season with him and you never know who's going to be active in buffalo if it's like zach moss or something maybe moss steals a touchdown Mixon just doesn't have those concerns. He's been catching the ball more recently, which is fantastic. Vegas, again, they're five and a half point underdogs. So game script should be working in Mixon's favor. Again, 48 and a half point total. That's larger. For me, it mainly becomes a question of, okay, if I'm playing Chase and Higgins, can I also afford Mixon? So I can see some scenarios where you might leave him out just based on salary. It's not really tight, but you still can't play all of the studs. So that's the the only issue, if you do run an expensive Cincinnati stack, Mixon might be hard to get. But overall, just in the context of we need to play two running backs, Mixon's easily in the top two. So I'm going to have a lot of him. Right. Like it's all it, we got to contextualize it for a two game slate, right? Like you're not saying you don't like Joe Mixon. You're just saying you're leaning on the passing attack. And right now, I'm not necessarily looking at that in my player pool uh, as of now, but I totally understand why you're playing it that way. Uh, I think it's possible that we could have ceiling games from both T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. I mean, Chase had a 266-yard receiving game just basically to one-up the fact that T. Higgins had a 190, 195-yard receiving game in Week 16. The ceilings for those two players are so ridiculously high, so slate-breaking, that I could understand why you're prioritizing them over a player like Mixon. Uh, we mentioned Boyd. Are there any other players that you're kind of using as a, a salary saving option if you want access to this team? I know I have some CJ Uzoma, but I'm not particularly excited about playing him. I think I'll still end up overweight on Joe Mixon. It's just there are rosters I think you can build where maybe he just ends up being the casualty because you're prioritizing expensive stack or something like that. But I still am going to play a ton of Mixon. Uzoma, I think, makes a lot of sense. You basically have one tight end that's worth considering in Darren Waller. And then you have a bunch of GPP options, low risk GPP options, which are basically dependent on Waller failing. And then if they put up a moderate score, boom, you could win. So CJ Uzoma kind of falls in that category. He's easily the fifth most owned, I guess I should say most used pass catcher on this team. So he's going to be behind guys like Joe Mixon in the past game too, certainly behind Boyd Higgins and Chase. But if he catches a touchdown on a four game or a four team slate, two game slate, that could be enough to get it done at a cheap price. And he could be that access point that lets you get, you know, a Higgins, a Chase, a Mixon, and the quarterback. So that is kind of how I view him. What does he give you in your roster that Waller does not? Yeah, that, that all makes sense to me. All right, let's bring it over to the Las Vegas side of the ball. Obviously, they are underdogs here, uh, and their offense is kind of still in flux because we just saw Darren Waller kind of surprisingly come back and, 
what do you what do you make of this Las Vegas team? We kind of know where they went in the second half of the season, but with Waller on the field, we got to expect that the offense continues to concentrate around him in the passing game. Nine targets last week. Do you agree? Yeah, I think Waller is still your pass catcher number one when healthy. You know, Renfro had the phenomenal, I guess, little stretch of games when Waller was out. But we saw it in the one-game sample. We saw it before Waller went down. He is the target leader for this team. And his targets are a little different than Renfro's. They'll occur downfield. Renfro's working more out of the slot where the targets might be considered more like gimme catches. But there's not quite as much upside with those, in my opinion. Waller's at a cheaper price. And if this were a one-for-one discussion, I would prefer playing Waller. But we have the dynamics of a really thin tight end position. So for me, it ultimately comes down to, do you want to play both these guys or do you want to just play Waller? I think if you're stacking Vegas, you could easily play them both. Otherwise, if you're playing a one-off right now, for me, it's Waller just because he's filling a valuable position that doesn't have a lot of alternatives. Right, yeah. I mean, Dawson Knox, you said it's a GPP play. Hunter Henry, 18% touchdown rate. You know, at some point, the the wall's going to fall down there. So Waller gives you that level of security. The nine targets he had last week were the most he has seen since that 19-target explosion game in week one, that overtime game against Baltimore. So uh, I guess he needs overtime for him to be targeted like that. I'm just <laughs> kidding, obviously. Uh, Josh Jacobs is a player that's really intriguing to me because I know we talked about this. We laughed about this on a previous live before lock where like Josh Jacobs is one of those players who can get 30 total opportunities and somehow barely crest 10 fantasy points. I still think in this high total game, I'm going to get to plenty of Josh Jacobs. As you said, there's not many bell cow running backs, but what are you kind of thinking about Josh Jacobs and his upside here? If you're trying to win a tournament? Yeah, he is. He has plenty of it. A lot of it coming more so from his touches than just raw point expectation. Again, they're big underdogs in this game. Historically, that's been an issue for Jacobs. But right now, he's playing an enormous role for this team. And they've actually kept games competitive or played from ahead. So I still have questions about Jalen Richard, who missed a lot of the year but has recently come back. He is at a couple targets since he's been back. But again, Jacobs is at a fine receiving role. Is that the product of, you know, Jacobs while playing from ahead, you're going to have rundowns, run plays called, and then you check into pass plays, Jacobs locks into some targets here and there. And then they have, you know, a guy like Jalen Richard coming on the field during real pass sets, or is this, do they actually view Jacobs as a pass catcher now? And I still have questions. If you can save nearly a thousand dollars and get down to Singletary for less ownership, that's my preference. But again, we're talking, if you're running multiple lineups on a two game slate, you're going to naturally end up with Jacobs. At 52% right now, I think I'll probably be slightly underweight, but very slight on that, pretty close to the ownership that we're getting at 52%. That's exactly where I am right now. I am under the field as it currently stands with our current projected ownership and not because I feel particularly strongly. There are so many ways in a high total game that a high volume player like Josh Jacobs can hit, particularly just if they get to the goal line, you know, pass interference at the one two times and he plops into the goal line. You're talking about a player who's probably going to end up in the optimal lineup. Even when I when I agree with you, I kind of like Singletary in a vacuum a little bit more here it's interesting Jalen Richard wasn't really on my radar but our projections like him compared to salary-based expectations I I might have to reconsider that one area I was looking though is with Waller back these tertiary options these auxiliary auxiliary players in the receiving game not saying you can't play them in a tournament but 
One of the highest ROI bets we have right now on oddshopper.com is under 4.5 receptions for Zay Jones. And that kind of makes sense to me, right? With Waller coming back, with Renfro kind of establishing himself, Zay Jones kind of had a moment here where his opportunity share was slightly increased. And we are talking about there, there being a slight shootout potential with the upside of the passing game on the Cincinnati side of the ball. But from a median projection standpoint, I don't think I'm going to be getting to a whole lot of Zay Jones or or Brian Edwards or, or Deshaun Jackson. If you're trying to win a million dollars, sure, add him there as a, as a run back when you're playing Cincinnati stacks. But just looking at the, the math here, it doesn't look too appealing to me. Anybody else on the Las Vegas side you want to highlight before we move on here? You briefly brought up Zay Jones. He's been inefficient, but his volume has been phenomenal. He's been used way more than Brian Edwards. His target share has steadily risen towards the end of the season. And I don't necessarily think you need to go and play a lot of these punt receivers, but if you do stack up like a really expensive Cincinnati side, and then you just need a cheaper play to sort of open up salary to allow that Zay Jones, I think fits that mold, but he's definitely not a guy I'm going to be taking a large stand on when he ends up in my lineups as a correlation piece or a salary saving piece. I'm just going to take it. Yeah, it almost looks like one of those situations where the salary differential between Renfro and Zay Jones isn't really warranted. So you play Zay Jones in a tournament, but then you bet on the prop, the under on the prop of going with the expected win rate, and you can kind of take both sides of it here. Um, I I think that kind of covers it here. We got, you know, I, I, I would not play more than one of Brian Edwards, Deshaun Jackson, or Zay Jones, unless you're in the largest of large field tournaments. And Jalen Richard is definitely somebody I might have to boost up in my next run of lineups. Okay, guys, Super Wildcard Weekend is is almost here tomorrow, actually, which means plenty of opportunities to take down a big NFL showdown or single game GPP. Through Monday, January 17th, our NFL Express Weekly Pass will only be $1 when you use promo code SUPERWILD. That's all one word, SUPERWILD, S-U-P-E-R-W-I-L-D, at checkout. Uh, to activate a $1 NFL Express Weekly Pass, which gives you access to all our player uh, and o- player projections and ownership rankings for all of NFL slates and everything we have to offer for showdown and single game contests including our projections, ownerships, and our top plays tool. Again, that's super wild at checkout, or you can simply click the link in the description of this video here. Stop guessing, start winning, join Osimo today. Okay, the second game on our slate, the New England Patriots, the Buffalo Bills, weather once again may play a factor here. Not as much wind, but this time it's supposed to be around three degrees at kickoff with the wind chill making it feel more like negative 10. Now, I know you're up in the uh, the Wisconsin area, so I know you're used to cold. I'm not nearly as used to cold. That sounds really, really cold to me. How much are, is that playing a factor here? Or because the wind is low, do not really take it into consideration everything you need to worry about with the weather is already in the projections so it's a non-issue it's already factored in easy enough wow like the total 40 the total is 44 and it's fallen that is accounting for it like the temperature the, the total continues to fall and i kind of agree with you here the buffalo offense from an upside perspective probably has a higher implied total in, in their regular range of outcomes 
the weather is probably already totally factored in, and we certainly consider it when we're making our projections over here. So let's dig into the New England side of the ball. This is one that's kind of tough to figure out. Damian Harris has kind of been nicked up for most of the year, but when healthy, he's kind of been the number one option. Got Brandon Bolden, Ramondre Stevenson as well, and Mac Jones, who's been fairly efficient and accurate, particularly for a rookie quarterback. He doesn't really produce that much from a fantasy perspective. What do you what are you feeling like uh, you're prioritizing from the New England side on the ball? I will be looking at some of the run game. Mac Jones is just such a low ceiling type player. So when they're playing to their ceiling, they're not using Mac Jones. It's coming through the run game. When Mac Jones is throwing, he's dinking and dunking his way there with this low A dot. He's two games at 300 yards this year. He started the whole season. So that's a major concern. Even when he's having productive games, he really needs to be coaxed into his ceiling. And I think the only way that happens is if Buffalo blows them out. So Mac Jones is pretty clearly the fourth quarterback option I'm targeting on this slate. But naturally, you're going to play some New England Patriots. I think Jacoby Myers is always going to be interesting. I know he is coming into this game banged up. So we'll have to, it's Friday now. So we'll just, we'll watch this pregame, but anticipating him playing. Nelson Aguilar, he's a guy that came back from injury concussion, if I'm not mistaken. And he worked right back into the wide receiver two role. They use him more as a field stretcher. So the opportunity is a little more volatile with him. But even just referencing our odd shopper tool, you can find his props around 25 and a half receiving yards. We have this at 38 and a half on the back end of our projections, giving it a 66% win rate. So Aguilar is not going to be one of these sexy names you like to click on in your lineup. But if you're running Josh Allen stacks, you need somebody on the other side. Aguilar is cheap. He's on the field. And he has the chance for a big play because of his usage. So I think he's somebody you could look at in tournaments. But from there, I'm just going to try to take some stabs on Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Obviously, they're going to come in with much lower ownership than the other three backs in the slate. But we've seen New England run the ball a lot. If they get up in this game and they can play to their strengths, one of them could luck box with a touchdown or two. And that could be enough to win you a tournament as well. Yeah, that's a really good point here. With only two games, we can actually build lineups, especially you hand builders out there, but also if you're using an optimizer for specific game scripts. And while Buffalo is favored here by four points, you know, that's not much more than simply the home field advantage that they would be given nonetheless here. So if you build lineups for an alternative game script where the game is close or New England actually holds the lead, then Damian Harris would probably be projected much, much higher. And that's how you would get overweight on him. I totally understand that from a tournament perspective. Doesn't sound like Mac Jones is appealing to you. That's kind of the same way I'm reading it. We're also over on Kendrick Bourne's uh, pretty middling prop line of 30.5 passing yards. We haven't projected for 40, but I agree with you, just like Nelson Aguilar, that is quite volatile. Uh, do you have any read on whether you want to play Ramondre Stevenson or Brandon Bolden if you're not playing Damian Harris, but you want to play, you know, a tournament option in that backfield? Ramondre, for me, I think he just has a better path to touchdowns. Brandon Bolden's ceiling would be like eight receptions or something. And how, how often does that happen? One, they need to be getting blown out for it to get there. Otherwise, he's just going to see too much work to Ramondre and Damian. And we know he's not the goal line back. So like, what is the ceiling for Bolden? I think those outcomes are far more unlikely than Ramondre falling in the end zone. Yeah, okay. That makes sense to me. And Ramondre has been the most elusive back on that team. I still think Damian Harris, again, when healthy, is the unquestioned starter. And 
in the playoffs, we tend to see players, uh, excuse me, teams, number one running backs actually get more snap share and more opportunity share than in the regular season. But I think if you're trying to win uh, something like the millionaire, go ahead and play one of those backups. I kind of agree that Stevenson is my first bet there. Before we get into the Buffalo side of the ball, I want to remind you guys that this show is sponsored by Jock Market, which has turned fantasy sports and your fantasy sports knowledge into a stock exchange where you can make money every minute, every second, every hour by buying and selling shares of your favorite players in real time for real money. Use our exclusive promo code AWESOMO. Uh, to get up to a $50 bonus on your first deposit. Download the app today, get started. They've got all major sports. So thanks again for Jock Market sponsoring this video. Again, that's promo code AWESOMO for that $50 first match deposit bonus. Okay, guys, the Buffalo Bills favored by four points. We kind of mentioned it. The weather is tampering down, tamping down that uh, implied total for a Buffalo offense that has been pretty high flying at times this season. And then they've got a bell cow running back kind of emerging here late in the season. What are we doing with the Buffalo Bills, Matt? I think Josh Allen and Buffalo stacks are right up there with Burrow stacks. The concerns are weather related. I think that's being a little overblown. It's already reflected in projections. And from there, you just have cheaper stacks and maybe not the most clear path to a ceiling. There definitely is a ceiling with players like Diggs, Sanders, Beasley, Knox, even like Gabe Davis. But again, that target distribution is a little wider than Cincinnati. Again, it's cheaper as well. So I think a lot of that is made up for in salary already. But we just look at raw upside. Josh Allen certainly has it. He's more mobile than any other quarterback on this slate. So you don't necessarily need to stack him with two or three pass catchers to access that ceiling. He could get in the end zone on the ground himself. And then the implied team total just being second highest on the slate. We clearly want to target it for that reason. Diggs is the clear stacking option. If you have the money to get to him from there, number two is going to be Beasley. I'm not sure what the role is going to look like between Emmanuel Sanders and Gabe Davis, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's just a 50-50 split. Knox at tight end is kind of the player I'm looking to take a stand on outside of Waller. Just looking at Uzoma and the other tight ends on this slate, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, Who's the most likely to outscore Darren Waller or even get close? I think it's Knox, and it probably occurs via touchdowns. You mentioned Singletary in the backfield. I think in a vacuum, he's the second best play at running back behind Joe Mixon because of the projected volume. He's been over 18 touches in four straight games, and they're projected to be playing from ahead, four and a half point spread here. That's kind of how Buffalo breaks down for me. Yeah, that that pretty much aligns with me. I like this Dawson Knox call. I've wanted him to be more involved the second half of the season, but as you kind of said, it's kind of been a rotation after players like Stephon Diggs. You know, Cole Beasley is the only other player in their last five starts who has over a 20% target share, but even he has some volatility that we didn't really see last season. So I like the idea of Dawson Knox being that player you take a stand on here. And Singletary, uh, the salary is kind of increased to the point where he's not a must-play option, but on a slate where we don't have a lot of bell cow running backs, especially not in this game, I think if you wanted to make Singletary your anchor point and say like he's the one because of the game script that actually exceeds expectations the most, I don't think that's crazy. The big change I'm making personally, and you hit on it right away, 
is that Josh Allen can get there in a skinny stack more often than he can with two pass catchers. And I see that Antoine is here in chat once again. He was here in the uh, Osmo matchup show uh, with Lafayette on Thursday. And we were kind of going back and forth about how two pass catchers with Josh Allen may actually be a little more contrarian than usual here, which might leave us a very interesting strategy point uh, if you wanted to get to two players like a Diggs and a, and a Beasley or a Diggs and a Knox. I think that's very, very, uh, very interesting this weekend. All right, top plays real quick. Maybe your top three players that you're prioritizing for this Saturday slate. Uh, and if you have any differences in platform, let me know. But uh, who are your top three players overall uh, when you look at the whole slate? Yeah, it's Burrow, Mixon, and Singletary. I think they just set you apart from the rest of your lineup. A lot of it coming down to the environment in that Cincinnati game. And then with Singletary, it's kind of just if I'm, you have to play two running backs, of course. So Mixon's a priority. And then between Josh Jacobs and Devin Singletary, who do we prefer? Me personally, I prefer Singletary as the home favorite, the guy who has a clear pass catching role and who has been seeing the work consistently. So that's an, and plus he's cheaper coming in with less ownership. So that's enough to kind of divide those two for me and lean Singletary's direction. Oh, I really like that. And for me, it's Burrow, Mixon, and I'm going to take a stand here on T. Higgins. I know that Jamar Chase has a ridiculously high ceiling, not a bad play at all, but I think I want to take a stand because we usually get a little bit of a salary reduction, but I don't feel like we have a ceiling projection reduction when we go to T. Higgins. So for me, that's the player I'm going to be taking a stand on. Uh, this was really great, guys. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe so you can keep in touch with all of our shows, our DFS offers, our giveaways, and much, much more. Once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get all the alerts when our shows go live. Matt, thanks so much for breaking this down with me. Uh, any last thoughts for the viewers here? Not too many. Thank you guys for being here all season. Good luck this weekend with the playoffs. I hope you guys all enjoy what should be some really good games. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. He's Matt Gajeski, Matt underscore Gajeski on Twitter. I'm Matt Savoka at Draftaholic on Twitter. Thanks again, producer Mike, for helping us out with those great overlays. You guys have a great Saturday slate. We'll see you guys next time.